Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. You are here. I am here. Hi, David. How are you today? Um, I'm strangely okay with what happened at the, the deadline, although I was hoping for more. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dreaded a bad trade, you know, like a third round pick for Luke Glendenning kind of trade, um, which I would have thought was a bad trade or, you know, so I, I I guess I'm okay with it, Bruce. And I, and I'm left with a strong feeling that the, the Oilers are a team right now who I think are in trouble, but they have within them the solutions to, to what ails them. They didn't necessarily have to make a big trade i think there's internal moves that were just as strong that haven't been tried yet that the oilers could resort to to bring some pop back to their attack their attack which in the last dozen games has gone completely flat Um, and the coach seems to be out of answers but there's time yet and i think that there's answers within the team uh, to solve whatever ails the, the the oilers so overall i'm good how about you yeah, it's interesting. Those last 12 games almost mostly overlaps the time that they've been running the uh, uh, the uh, centers one line with uh, Drysaddle and McDavid. And what it's done is it's really thinned out their depth scoring. So if their answer lies within the team, I think they're probably going to have to find it by doing some redeployment. Um, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm kind of betwixt and between. Let's put it this way. I came into this trade deadline with low expectations, and they were not exceeded. (laughs) (laughs) Ken Holland, and, you know, certainly got the message out himself and through the media. You know, a lot of of people are, some people are in kind of shoot the messenger mode with the media right now. The media was essentially passing on passing on Holland's message that nothing much is going to happen. But that was really clearly, obviously coming from Holland. My only question was, is Holland telling the truth or not? Was he, was he playing poker and working on a big deal? It doesn't sound like he was actually, it sounds like he was quite honest. Like they just, he didn't feel like they had the cap space or the assets to make a pick right now. And maybe he didn't feel that the team was in the, in, in the right position. That whole thing about the order not being in the right position argument bothered me, Bruce, I have to say, because the orders are, are a better team, I think, right now than they were last year when they made a lot of moves at the cap. They're better positioned to win in the playoffs right now than they were then. And um, they've got a top, they got Mike Smith playing like a number one goalie. They've got McDavid and Drysdale just rolling. They've got Darnell Nurse as a number one demon. They've and they've got you know an in, interesting, maybe solid, arguably solid depth in other places. So I, I like this team. Quite a bit. And they're also renting Tyson Berry, Mike Smith, Adam Larson, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, essentially. They're all UFAs after this year. Some of them might not come back, possibly. Now, I know they have a lot of cap space, so they can bring other good players in. But this is a team, I think, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are right in their prime. So I don't get the argument that last year was a good time to go all in, and this year wasn't a good time to go all in. I mean, I guess they spent some assets last year that they don't have this time, like a second-round draft pick. But, Bruce, I would have been really open to seeing them move a first-round draft pick, the first-round draft pick from this season, and um, another pick to create some cap space, you know, creative use of creation of cap space like other teams uh, like Toronto. uh, um, Toronto did. um, Las Vegas has done. Some of the other the other teams got really. Uh, Tampa Bay did it. So don't tell me this was this was dollar in dollar out. There's nothing Ken Holland can do. His hands were tight. No, he made a choice right. not to do that. Yep. And I'm not sure that I understand the choice that he made. What do you do? You understand it? Oh, well, somewhat. I mean, he was asked directly at the press conference, which I just wrote a post about uh, with post deadline. Um, sort of post-mortem, uh, and he, they, he was asked directly if he had given any thought to being creative the way Toronto and and, uh, and um, Tampa had done and, you know, doing sort of double dealing to, to, to 
worked down a cap. And as soon as he heard the word creative, he didn't even have to listen to the rest of the question. He just said no. <laughs> and it was actually kind of made me laugh. Like, were you thinking of being creative? No. <laughs> and that was the whole answer that he gave to that question. But later on, he said, I made a decision last year at the deadline to spend lots of futures. When you make decisions in life, they're going to affect future decisions in life. Meaning, because he'd spent the futures already, he didn't have a lot of futures left to give, which is certainly true with the Oilers being out a second, a third, and a fifth round draft choice. If I were Holland, I would have slipped in a snide remark about how the NHL hosed him out of the third round pick in the Milan Lucic decision. But uh, uh, if I was Holland, I probably wouldn't keep my job for very long because I'd be snarking about the NHL too often. But anyway... That's uh, beside the point. He also said he didn't have a lot of cap room. And at the end of the day, he kind of said, well, we got $2 million, but I want to keep 850000 for Kukuk, and I want to keep the other million to activate players off the taxi squad. Well, $2 million goes a long way. You know, I mean, uh, $2 million was uh, is tw- 25% of Nick Foligno's salary was $1.4 million, and 25% of David Savard's salary was only $1.06 million or whatever. So... You could buy an expensive player, but the trick would be to do that and to have the assets, and that just was not a path he was prepared to pursue. He figured he's short on both draft capital and cap space, and you need both to make those kind of deals. I mean, both Toronto and Tampa gave up three draft picks to make those deals. Yes, they did. And and it's interesting, like, he, he harkens back to last year at the deadline, you know, and he's essentially saying he traded some picks that he has to pay up this draft, a fantasy of being the main one, the second round pick that he has to pay this draft. And that kind of prevents him. But I wonder if it's also, and I'm just guessing here, I can't read his mind and I'm, you know, I'm not as, if there wasn't a kind of a psychological reason, if the failure of last year's attempt also didn't weigh on him a little bit and prevent him from going down that path again because and and he's obviously a very experienced gm who has experienced many failures at the deadline because because mm-hmm. most most deadline experiences are a failure because you don't win the stanley cup in the end or you and often you don't even go that far into the playoffs so you expend a lot of capital like the oilers did last year in terms of assets and it doesn't work out and i just wonder if he just thought not doing that again or just just if there wasn't some kind of psychological reason almost um, just weighing on on him a little bit that he didn't want to have another failure like that hanging over his head. And when he weighed everything, he just didn't seem to think this team was the right team to bet on at this moment in terms of it. Or maybe just the right deal didn't come up, Bruce. Although it's funny, like the price for Taylor Hall in the end turned out to be a second round pick that and uh, and a like a, a forward who's got two goals this year. Of course, Taylor Hall just has two goals. Taylor Hall was had for very, very little. Uh, I don't know if he would have come here, though. Holland indicated that he wasn't in, was never in on Hall, and maybe that's because Hall wouldn't lift his no-movement clause to come to Edmonton. There's always that possibility that we don't even know. Like, maybe that wasn't in the cards. Well, you hear stuff, but how reliable is it that Hall would have been happy to come here? I mean, I heard at one point that Hall said he only wanted to go to Edmonton, and I'm going, yeah, I don't think so. But, of course, that's not what happened. Unless we forget, in addition to two-goal man um, uh, Anders Bjork that uh, Buffalo got for Hall and the second-round pick, that Buffalo also sent five-goal man Curtis Lazar as a (laughs) throw-in. And Lazar actually has more goals than than Hall and and Bjork combined. So I I think Buffalo came up way short. If I was a Buffalo fan, I would be really disappointed in that outcome. It was funny because there was a lot of excitement in different cities about trades that were made. And you, so Toronto traded a first pick and and more and some lower round picks for Nick Felino. Nick Felino, Bruce, it, it is points per 60 this year, 1.1 per 60 at even strength. He is below the Kyle Turris line. Kyle Turris is at 1.13. Nick Felino, who they expended all of, like a first round draft pick to get, it's 1.11. Um the uh pretensity david pretensity i mean there was matthias janmark who who goes to vegas for a second and a third pick i believe he's at 1.21 
points per 60. Well, James Neal's at 1.33 points per 60 this year. Um, so there are some high prices paid for players who aren't exactly uh, killing it this year, at least, in the scoring column. And now, of course, these are small sample sizes, and players offer other things than just goal scoring. They could be really solid defensive players, or, may, or maybe they have some special talent that that other team's looking for. But, yeah, I think if if, if Felino has a poor playoff, people in Toronto are going to have a bad hanger, hangover from that deal, that's for sure, because uh, that was a fairly steep price to pay for a guy who looks like he might be past his best before date, at least when it comes to even strength scoring. They could have had uh, they could have had Taylor Hall for a lot less, as it turns out, and that's a that's a very interesting choice by Kyle Dubas. It is, isn't it? Yeah, he probably just sees a lack of uh, uh, they've looked good to me, but maybe sees a lack of checking and toughness in his forwards. Wants to get a bit bigger and more defensively responsible, and maybe Felino really provides that. I mean, that's a that's a very good team, so he he obviously knows what he's doing and. Um, well, he needs another geezer, former captain in his lineup because he's only got Joe Thornton, Jason Spezza, and John Tavares <laughs> currently in that role. So now Indeed. he's got a fourth one just in case. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I don't. I didn't necessarily understand Ken Holland's approach to last year as compared to this year, but you know things change, and he they were short on assets, they were short on cap space, and and more so than last year. I think that's a fair comment. So um, maybe he just didn't want to bend over backwards to give up a first-round draft pick for a, for Nick Felino and uh, see, see how that would work out. I, and I'm glad, actually, the Oilers didn't trade a first-round draft pick for a player like Felino. Maybe I'll regret that initial hot take uh, in the playoffs, but that's my initial hot take. I had Felino on my list as a player of interest, but when I saw the price it was paid for, I went, yeah, no. You know, I thought maybe... Uh, with his declining production and being 33 years old, that maybe you could get him for, you know, a, a second rounder and a, and a prospect or something, but not a first and two thirds or two fourths or third and a fourth, whatever it was. It was sort of two mid rounders and a first that Toronto paid both for him and to get his cap hit down to something they could squeeze under the cap. So I, Bruce, on, on Twitter just now, I've asked fans uh, to weigh in on, on mm-hmm. how the Oilers did at the trade deadline, whether it's a pass or a fail. Mm-hmm. And right now, uh, in early voting, we've had 400 votes. It's uh, 46% give them a pass and 54% give them a fail. So this is very close. This mm-hmm. is very close in terms of... Um, how fans are reacting. You know, a lot of fans are loyal. So, so the, you know, Holland says, you know, they'll just go with what the GM says. And then there's, of course, there's other fans who are hypercritical who will criticize the GM no matter what. But um, yeah, there's, it's a, it's a split, split reaction. I think that's about right. Does it make sense to you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very much, I know you're going to ask me the same question. I'm very much on the fence. Like they, they, they succeeded in not doing anything disastrous. And I think the one trade they made is quite perfectly defensible and, and it does address the need, but they sure didn't address all of their needs or come anywhere close to that. But I'm not sure there was a way to do that, David, to tell the truth. I'll read you a few comments. Sure. Uh, here's from Steve to Sony. He says, they added without subtracting too much. This team was not going to win the Stanley Cup by adding a left winger. Right. Powder kept dry for next year. Um Here's from uh, Brett Harvey. I'm not sure what folks expected to happen in a dollar-in, dollar-out position. Uh, Let's see. Um, Here's from uh, Riley Witu. And uh, Riley says, disappointed we don't have a scoring left winger. That said, we did get a little better, didn't overpay any assets. We might be really glad we still have that first rounder come draft time. If I was a cult of hockey grader, I'd give it six out of (laughs) ten. And this is from Kerry Kettle, Kerry L. Kettle. They fulfilled mm-hmm. their number one need without mortgaging the future. Let's see if I can find a really... Uh... Here's Robert Oakley. They didn't fulfill their biggest need. Kulof, Kulikov keeps it from a complete write-off as he looks serviceable in a week, in a, in a week two. In a weakness two. Um, if, that's, uh, if that's it, why even bother? 
need to be more aggressive in buying and getting forward help. Only saving graces that Winnipeg also strike uh, struck out. So, um, what would you give uh, on the binary pass or fail, Bruce? If you had to hit one button, what would it be? Pass or fail? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask me that because I told uh, you. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Uh, and I just, I just clicked, I just voted on your, I opened it up to okay. read it, and I, I voted yes uh, for our voted pass, but it's a very, very weak pass, five out of ten. It's a passing grade, and that's all uh, for reasons already stated. It didn't have enough room to maneuver to pull off a big swap, and some will say, but, 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 Taylor Hall, and, you know, maybe so. Um I don't see that as something that would put them over the top. And in, when you're dealing at the deadline for an expiring contract, you're looking to go over the top that year. And I, I'm not sure we're quite there yet. So um, send your slings and arrows my way if you uh, disagree. And I know many do. Here's the last comment. And this is this is more indicative. There's a lot of unhappy uh, fans out there right now uh, on the uh, Oilogosphere. This is from Kim, Kim Jong Oil, and he's saying, miserable, hardcore, awful, worst deadline yet level fail. In the one season, Oilers management had a reason to improve the team. They did nothing. No, wait, they brought in a defenseman when the only thing the team has is defensemen. <laughs> there is that. Um, I, I would feel this way, Bruce. I, I would be pretty disappointed if I didn't think that there were internal solutions on the orders, and I really think that there are. And um, I'm also looking at some of these prices that were paid and I'm thinking, what would a Ricard Raquel have cost? How much, what would it have been? Like, would it have been a first pick plus like a, a B-level prospect like Ryan McLeod or Raphael Lavoie? Um, that, that strikes me as a pretty high price to pay. And maybe, Maybe the Oilers are, you know, counting on Dylan Holloway coming. Bruce, let's talk about Dmitry Kulikov, the player that they did get. They traded a a uh, fourth round draft pick for uh, for for uh, the 2022 draft, which, when the Oilers advance in the playoffs this year, will turn into a third round pick uh, for mm, um, does, yeah. New Jersey Devils. And I think the Oilers will win their first round and their second round um, and their third round. So I think that um, as much as a third round pick for Kulikov isn't a cheap price, that's not, it's not cheap. Now he's mm -hmm. a fourth pairing defenseman paired with PK Subban. He's about six, six feet, 205 pounds. So he's a little bit, 10 pounds heavier than Caleb Jones. Not a really big defenseman though. He's very physical though. He's, he's in the top, I think top 30 for hits per game for Oil, mm -hmm. uh, NHL D-man. He's not as physical as Adam Larson in terms of hits per game but he's, he'd be ranked second on the Oilers right now for hits. Um, he is a defensive defenseman. He doesn't put up many points. He is a left-shot defenseman. The Oilers have been trying Caleb Jones and William Logason in those positions. Ken Holland says that they've played well, but they've both been leaking grade-A scoring chances against this year throughout. I know both of them have their fans, and, and we, we are both fans of these players too, but I, I think on performance, they, they have been struggling. My only concern with Kulikov, Bruce, is last year I think the owners were eliminated from the playoffs because their defense, one of the things their defense corps couldn't do was move that puck, get that puck going, and the owners were were stuck in their zone. It hasn't been a big as, as big a problem this year, but if you go with Larson, Kulikov, and Chris Russell in your top six, that's three defensemen who are probably average at best, and that might be charitable with some of them let's say below average for a couple of them at moving the puck. Um, that's not maybe the mix I was hoping to see this year on the Oilers' defense. And, a, you know, Dave Tippett loves his defensive veterans. Yep. But I'm a little bit worried about that mix. Um, what's your thought on Kulikov? Yeah, well, 38 games, zero goals, two assists, two points. Yeah. You know. Uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't bode well for offense. That said, it's very possible for a defenseman to make a good first pass in his own zone and not garner a whole lot of points. Correct. Uh, it means he doesn't do a whole lot in, in the offensive zone. But uh, if he gets the puck moving north, as Holland referenced in his uh, in his comments, uh, that's uh, um, obviously a big help. 
Uh, it's been pretty clear to me for the last couple of weeks or more uh, that Tippett's not r real super confident in six starting defensemen, and in particular at the number six spot, a three left defense. He's been flitting back and forth between Caleb Jones and William Laguson. Yeah. And whichever guy he uses, he shelters him as much as he can, and the guy will play uh, 12 minutes some nights, and if it's a close, tight game down the stretch, he might play nine or eight minutes, and he won't even get the equal of the of the right defenseman on the third pairing, which these days has been Ethan Bear. And I don't think he's particularly happy having to go with two youngsters on the third pairing, uh, which is how he sees fit to do it. But I, th I, I think he will, given another veteran defenseman option, who's been a top four guy, played 19:33 a game in in uh, Jersey this year, fourth on the team in minutes, and typically throughout much of his career he's been between 20 and 22 minutes a night, which is a solid top four guy. That uh, he very likely uh, will will slide in beside Adam Larson, is my guess, on the defense first pairing. And then uh, Tippett has the option of of Jones, Lagason, or Chris Russell playing with Ethan Bear on the third pairing. Yeah. And my guess is he'll choose, uh, he'll, he'll drive people absolutely nuts by choosing Russell more Over often Jones. than he chooses the other guy. And, of course, his other option would be to move Bear back with Nurse and put Barry with a uh, uh, a defenseman, but he again probably wouldn't want to put Barry with a young defenseman. He might put him with Kulikov. That would be his other way of going about um, how to how to deploy his defense. But I would suspect that whoever was number six before will will uh, on paper be number seven. Now and it doesn't really matter much if you're seven or eight. Either way, you're not in the lineup. So I think it will. Uh, it'll kind of won't slam the door, but it will gently slide the door shut for uh, opportunities for uh, for these young fellows. But at the same time, uh, defense will probably uh, improve. I would play Chris Russell right now over Caleb Jones. And uh, Caleb Jones has just really struggled on defense. And I don't see, that's what we're seeing uh, with our scoring chances project. He just leaks grade-A chances again at a much higher rate than any defenseman. It's not even that close anymore. He's a, he's a good player. He, he's got a lot of promises as an NHL player. I like that Ken Holland indicated that. But uh, for this playoff run, it's probably the, it's the, the wise choice. I personally would like to see Adam Larson with Nurse uh, tried that out. They're their two best defensemen, I think, by far, and most solid defensemen. Play them as much, ride those two guys, and uh, put Kulikov with maybe Tyson Berry. Mm -hmm. Tyson Berry really needs to play with a defensive defenseman, and if Kulikov is that guy, um, that might work. And then go with, with Bear, who has also struggled this, this year with Chris Russell, a solid uh, defensive defenseman, and I think that that might be their best bet. I mean, I... I Listen, I don't really think it matters who they play in the first round anymore. I think they're going to make the playoffs, clearly. What I want to see is them try different, try some different things down the stretch. Play Lagasin and Bouchard. Um, give these guys some games again to see what you have. It's, it's ridiculous the way they've handled Evan Bouchard. I, I think that's a fair criticism of this organization this year. And um, Ken Holland, you know, he, he doesn't really know what they're going to do. Well, send him to the minors for a for a month here and um, get him some games, get him in some action because this sitting around isn't doing anyone either that or play him, play him every second game down the stretch because it doesn't really matter. I don't think it matters where you finish in the top four, quite honestly, all those teams are can equally beat the Oilers, put it that way, or the Oilers could beat them. Um, so I, I just, I'm frustrated by that with this team. They need, passing they need more attacking and evan bouchard is a player who could give them that and i just wish they would go in that direction i know it's difficult because they have the four right shot defensemen and they don't want to move one over but i wouldn't give give adam larson a rest rest him up for the playoffs he's been taking a pounding this year how about you go to barry and larson and say hey down the stretch you're going to play two out of three games we're going to run evan bouchard in in those other spots and you guys are just gonna you're gonna take it easy 
And that's how we're going to get ready for the playoffs. Would that be too radical? Do you envision Dave Tippett doing that? No. Yeah. But but that's what I want to see. I don't envision him breaking up Nurse and Barry, to be honest, because I think no, he's established that sort of five-man unit. With uh, he likes the way they both move the puck and can can contribute to a to a five-man sort of attacking cycling unit. Uh, so the other guys are going to uh, you know find their spots further down the lineup. Is is my take, and just by how hard he leans on Adam Larson in the last five minutes of a one-goal game, you know, if the Oilers are protecting the lead, that's when you see Nurse and Larson playing together and grinding out the dying minutes and and uh, trying to hang on to that lead. Uh, and Holland talked about how he thinks the Oilers should make a playoff berth, but how he'll be happy when they've sort of mathematically clinched it. And maybe that'll be the turning point where they do start to um, uh, open up opportunities for some of these younger fellows. I mean, Evan Bouchard, six weeks ago today, was the last time he played a game, hockey game of any description. And yet Holland said plan A, he has no plans to send him to Bakersfield. Today, he said in two weeks, if he still hasn't played a game, maybe he'll have to reassess it then. But he didn't sort of say in two weeks he hasn't played a game. He's definitely going down. He just said he'll reassess at that time. And that's as far as he was prepared to go. Yeah. So they're now the Bruce, uh, to me, it's, this is the team that they're taking into the playoffs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And for the first 30 games of the year, Bruce, I was really optimistic about this team, mm-hmm. consistently optimistic, even when they lost. I haven't felt that way in the last dozen games mm-hmm. for an obvious reason. Their offense has pretty much dried up. Um, we track grade A shots, Bruce. I'm going to give you some statistics on grade A shots for the last, uh, for the first 30 games and then for the last dozen. So in the first 30 games, Connor McDavid had 2.2 grade A shots per game. In the last dozen, 1.7. So that's down a bit. Leon Dreisaitl, 1.6 grade A shots per game in the first 30 games. Now one a game. Wow. Our, Nugent Hopkins has gone from 1.5 grade A shots per game to 0.6. Puglia Yarvi from 1.5 to 1. Yamamoto from 1.1 to 0.5 per game. Cahoon, 0.8 per game in the first 30 games to 0.3. Oh. Jujar Kara, 0.7. He hasn't had a grade A shot in the last 12 games. Zach Cassian, from 0.7 to 0.1 grade A shots in the last 12 games. Bruce, every key forward on this team is in a huge slump in terms of finding a way to get dangerous shots on net. Whatever Dave Tippett's, so as you say, about 12 games ago, his his plan B when his when his top two lines didn't work out, the top two lines being uh, RNH, McDavid, and Puli Arvi, Cahoon, Drysaddle, Yamamoto. When they didn't work, his his plan B was to go to, to Drysaddle and McDavid to get things to work. And it has worked in the in the sense Drysaddle's been on a bit of a hot shooting streak. So what he is shooting at net goes in. But overall, Bruce, this has been a disaster offensively. They've gone from 12.8 scoring chances grade A scoring chances per game as a team in the first 30 games to 7.8. This is a team which is going to start losing and will not win in the playoffs if Tippett doesn't find some answers within his own roster. And uh, like some people will, you know, you can, you can say, well, they've been winning and they've been, yeah, they've been winning. Mike Smith's been standing on his head a lot of games and they've got some good puck luck. This will not, this isn't sustainable and they're in trouble if Tippett doesn't get more creative. And, uh, you know, maybe that's using more offensive defensemen, uh, or maybe it's readjusting your lines, and maybe it's calling up some players from the AHL, like that great line of Marodi, Benson, and McLeod, calling up one or two of those guys to see if they can help out. But he's tried his plan A, he's tried plan B. Plan A was actually pretty good until it wasn't, and then plan B has been, I think, a disaster. He's got to come up with plan C. Well, disaster, you know, I mean, they're 7-3-2 and two in those last 12 games, including losing the first and the last of those games, and in between going 7-1-2. and two. So a lot of times it was, you know, score effects a little bit. They got the lead and they were hanging on. And they, But earlier in the year, when they had the lead, they were hanging on by being more aggressive in the third period and spending time in the other team's end and maybe adding to the lead or, or uh, 
at least killing the clock by grinding it down in the, on the cycle in the offensive zone. And it seems like they've sort of uh, retracted a little bit from that. And it's more hang on Harvey style hockey down the, you know, the last 10 minutes of a one goal lead kind of game. And a couple of times they didn't get away with it. I mean, they, they, the, both the, the two overtime losses in there were games where they had a two goal lead in the third period and couldn't hold it. And so, I mean, those sting and, and, and on both occasions, they kind of deserved it because they kind of uh, became very passive defending that lead. But um, they've got, uh, uh, you know, I, 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 would, I wouldn't say disaster, but I would say they've been in a lull. And I sincerely hope that this week that they're getting off uh, before this next game and they, have, they go right back into a heavy schedule again. But... I, I just thought they were kind of running on fumes. And this, you know, they've had like two long Eastern road trips in a row. They barely played any home games in that time. And they've won, what, the last seven or eight home games in a row? So they've been doing well here, but they haven't been here. They've been they've been here, well, there and everywhere, and mostly in Montreal and, uh, and Toronto. And now they have to wait this this week they were supposed to play tonight and Wednesday, you know, have a couple of practice days and then go to Winnipeg on Saturday. Instead, they're sitting around all week. And now they have to go to Vancouver on Friday and then to Winnipeg on Saturday. And how bad is that, that they have, uh, you know, and then four and six nights after that. So it's uh, the schedule is not their friend. They've been really unlucky that the, the two other teams in the division that both had COVID scares, uh, ha- those scares happened right when they were facing a run of games against the Oilers. And they're going to be kind of swimming uphill. And the schedule maker has done them no friends. I mean, did you read the article Terry Jones wrote? Called the guy no. out by name. And, oh, man, did he ever hammer the guy that's that's been hammering the Oilers with some of these schedule rescheduling decisions. I mean, the one on Saturday that had McDavid upset. Uh, in particular, that's I think that's what set them off. But uh, uh, you know, the Oilers have uh, that has not uh, that has not and that has been a disaster. <laughs> I will say that. So, anyways, they've got time now to refresh, and uh, uh, hopefully they'll use it to good advantage, and we'll see a little bit more spring in their step for 60 minutes. The game Saturday night, playing the game Saturday night, turns oh. out to be indefensible. But Bruce, I don't. Every team has a tough schedule in the Canadian division. I mean, they all, yeah. they are they're all playing the same amount of games in the same number of months here. So the Oilers, yeah, they have it, but they all have tough schedules. Is the truth. So, um, and when I say disaster, I don't mean as a team. Like some things are going right in the team. Their defensive play has been about the same. They're they're not giving up a whole lot more chances, just a little bit more. So, and their goaltending has been outstanding. The, the power play has been really strong when it's gotten a chance and the penalty killing has been pretty good. So, so there's some things that are working. So this isn't a team that's a disaster. This team is a disaster when it comes to one thing and that's generating an even strength scoring chances on the attack. They, they, and this is a disaster. When you go from 12.8 grade A chances a game to 7.8, yeah. that's a disaster. That's, that's the disaster. They've the got 40%. to figure out a way to get more chances, scoring chances. And this is with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisettel on your team. So Tippett, I think, has been exceptionally uncreative um, this year. He's He has yet to go back to the dynamite line this year. He has yet to try Dominic Cahoon with Co- Connor McDavid. Um, he has 17 yet to, minutes they've played together all He has yet to, to bring up Marodi or Benson and give those guys, like these are the top, two of the top attacking players in the AHL, yet to give give them a chance. I'm I'm not liking it and I don't get it. So, but it does give him an opportunity at this point to still tinker and to to try different things. And I just hope that he does and doesn't stick to the the two plans that haven't really worked, that aren't working at this point. Um, now maybe maybe he'll find a way with with his these line combinations that that he's wedded to at this point to to turn the team around. I'm not seeing it, Bruce, because when I see the, I, when you see these two forward lines, let's forget teaming McDavid and Drysaddle and all the issues around that. But when you see Nugent Hopkins, Pulley, and McDavid, or Cahoon, Yamamoto, and Drysaddle, do you see two lines in your view that are clicking? Not really. 
Don't really know. I, I don't see the, the wingers and the centers really being on the same page all that often. Yeah. Maybe they could try Cassian with Yamamoto and Dreisaitl. I don't know. Like, well, there you go. Exactly. But yeah, maybe you could try Tyler Benson. How about that? Or Cooper Marodi with Connor yeah. McDavid. Like, like there, there are things you could do. Marodi, like you could try Marodi, McDavid, and Pugliarvi. And people will say, well, you're, you're bringing, you're playing Connor McDavid with AHLers. Well, there was all, I can remember many Stanley Cup years where players would be promoted from the AHL farm team of the Pittsburgh Penguins onto, onto a top line with either Crosby or Malkin, and they would have a lot of success in the playoffs. You know, there's Connor Sherry, there's Rust. I think there might even be another example of that. Where Jake Gunsel who turned out to be a full-fledged yeah. sniper, but he sure came out of nowhere, didn't he? Unheralded players, players yeah. you haven't heard about before. They finally they were inserted into the lineup out of the AHL Pascal, and they helped put please. that team over the hump. And I think I I'd like to see some I don't know what why it hasn't happened yet, honestly, but that's what I would like to see is is a little bit of, hey, let's just an acknowledgement, like plan A and B ain't working. Let's try, let's try plan C. That doesn't work. Let's try plan D and and keep going through until we get some lines that actually have some chemistry because you know that you have some talent there. Even in the six players who are currently on those lines, they have talent. It's just not, it's just not clicking. Yeah, well, it's the old Dave Tippett form to hang around for 55 minutes and see if you can find a way to win it in the end. And it's it's not really very sort of fulfilling in some ways. I mean, it's nice to get the wins, but uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the last time I was like came out of a game and I felt super satisfied about everything in the game. And it's uh, uh, yeah, a lot of times it's uh, well, you know, we kind of got away with that one and pulled it off in the end, or what have you, but uh, it's a tough league. I mean, you're not going to roll over teams unless you're, you know, Tampa Bay or Colorado and Edmonton inarguably are not that, not at this time. Were you hoping that they would get Taylor Hall, Bruce? Uh, I have very mixed emotions on it, and I'm I'm in the, in the middle between uh, the two extremes that seem to dominate the conversation. Uh, I suspect there's a whole lot of fans that are in the middle, but they don't get into the conversation because they get kicked from uh, one side or the other or both uh, if uh, they uh, uh, if they don't uh, uh, take take the line that you know Taylor Hall or bust or you know it's it's it's. It would have been real interesting to see him. I think it would have given him a jolt. It would have, it would have been fun to watch. Uh, it hasn't happened. And who knows who's saying what behind the scenes about the decisions that are getting made. Uh, what I will say, David, is I'm sure not surprised that uh, Holland defaulted on trading with a have-not team uh, and making a, a sort of what I call a no-stress trade. You have have-not teams that are selling assets at the deadline for any kind of futures, and you have a have team that are trying to rent players at the at the deadline. So their their objectives entirely overlap. They're not fighting for the same thing. They they have two completely different objectives in in mind. And Holland's first priority remains veteran defenseman. And I'll go back to his time in Detroit when he when he picked up uh, Jamie McCown age 36 at the trade deadline, Dmitry Mironov, age 32, Chris Chelios, age 37, Alf Samuelson, 35, Todd Gill, 34, Yuri Slager, 30, Matthew Schneider, 33, Corey Cross, 35 at the at the trade deadline, Merrick Zidlicki, 38, and then when he came to Edmonton, the first guy that he got last year at his first deadline, Mike Green, 35 years old, so what's he go out to do today? He gets a 30-year-old, 700-game NHL veteran in uh, Dmitry Kulikov, and it is exactly like plan A, page one of Ken Holland's trade deadline manual. And he's had a bit of success, hasn't he, Ken Holland? Well, some of those guys sort of did this, you know, at some point. <laughs> But uh, Mike Green sure didn't. I mean, the jury's out on Edmonton. You know, he comes here with a a long track record in one sense, but in another sense, a clean slate. And he's you know he's got to do.
do the job here as opposed to ride the coattails of what he did there. And he still talks about his 25 years in the playoffs a lot, I've noticed. But. Yes, well, it's a while ago that he's been in the playoffs, except for last year, if you count the playing round. I, I hope that he's. I hope his pro scouts got this right. I mean, I don't have an opinion on D- Dmitry Kulikov. I haven't seen him play. I, I don't. I don't know. I'm not going to venture whether this is a good trade or a bad play to, trade. It seems like it's okay. Has that feeling that it's okay, but uh, so did the si- signing of Kyle Turris. And um, you know, I hope that the pro scouts got this right and have picked the right player. Um, you know, there was talk that Jamie Alexiak might be available. I don't think he was in the end. I think in the end, D- Dallas bought. Uh, they're they're trying to make a move here. Seems mm-hmm. like they traded to improve their team, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, that would have been, I think, quite a significant upgrade. Because Alexiak, at this point in his career, um, he was a significant player for the Dallas Stars last year in their Stanley Cup playoff run. Mm, Very good. And those kind of great big defensemen like that tend to have a little bit of, they can have a little bit of staying power. Their size doesn't go away and their smarts increases. And um, so that would have been exciting to, to see him come into to Edmonton, but uh, not to be they didn't want to move him out. And who knows if Edmonton would have got him anyway, and what the price your, price would have been. Your dream, eh, David, would be for the orders <laughs> at Jamie Alexia after all these years. Yeah, after all these years, <laughs> I did. Uh, you know, I I years ago I put a, 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 put forward a famous trade request, which would have seen that Sam Gagne, who at that point had negative value because he had lost all his value as a forward, and he had a fairly hefty contract. And the Oilers' first pick that turned into Darnell Nurse for a 19-year-old Jamie Alexiak, who at that point was killing it in the AHL. We watched uh, but, all those games, Texas Stars against Oklahoma City Barons. We yeah. It seemed like we watched those two teams play about 40 games during the lockout. I, I was very impressed funny. With, with Alexiak <laughs> at the time. But I learned a lesson from that, Bruce, because it turned out that wouldn't have been a good trade um, because Alexiak has taken a long time to develop as a player. He's been an NHL player much many of those years, but he's usually played about 15 minutes a game. And and the, the lesson learned was when you see a player in a handful of games, you know, don't judge him on that. You have to see a player more than that. You have to see a considerable amount of games to get a really good sense of a player's value. And uh, so I try to be so. So, for instance, with Kulikov, I'm not I, I'll wait to, to 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 assess him as a player. I haven't seen him play. You know, we, we can see how much trust his coach had him in New Jersey, which was quite a bit in defensive situations. But, you know, yeah. he had him out there on the PK, but New Jersey also had the worst PK in the NHL. So we don't know how responsible Kulikov was for that being so bad uh, in New Jersey. We can take some guesses, and but not with the certainty to pronounce on a trade, I don't think, whether it's a good trade or not right now. That's, that's not my bag anymore. I don't do that, so... Well, he was paired up primarily with P.K. Subban. He played about 60 minutes, or sorry, 60% of his minutes with Subban. And I don't see who quite is the equivalent player on Edmonton to uh, to P.K. Subban. Oh, Barry. That said, when they were, well, I guess they have some things in common. Uh, when separated, uh, Kulikov consistently did better than Subban when they, when they were on different pairings. So and he he had heavy defensive minutes, like his shift starts are like thirty percent in the offensive zone to seventy percent in the in the defensive, and yet uh, he and he played like forty five percent of his minutes were against elite opponents. Like they were giving him the they were feeding him the toughs, and he was getting outscored a little bit, but the uh, not a lot. And the Devils were actually out shooting. Despite starting in their own end against tough opponents, they were actually getting more shots than uh, than the other guys. So he must have been doing something right. Well, possibly, but we don't know who he's out with. Like these are num- oh, these on ice numbers are are well, and three other forwards, an ever changing cast of forwards. So we, you know, we well, they weren't these are numbers stars. I can tell you that this is New Jersey we're talking about. Sure, sure. I'm just going to wait first. I'm not going to. No, no, no. I'm, fair enough. I'm I'm just, maybe maybe and, he's good. Maybe he's bad. We'll try and read out. the tea leaves. And then the, then you see yeah. the real thing on that. And then you actually drink the tea. And it's maybe a little different than you expected. And that's uh, so we'll have to wait a couple of weeks before we can see him. Because he's, uh, 
he won't be eligible or ready to play when the Oilers play four and six days, and then they get another four or five day break after that, and then after that he should be ready to go. Well, so Caleb we'll Jones that. and Caleb Jones and William Lagerson should be mighty motivated. Huge games for the those next guys. Few, yeah. few games. Huge games. <laughs> yeah, Caleb Jones is. I, I I've seen improvement with the puck uh, mm-hmm. in recent weeks. Um, he's still struggling defensively. He and Barry they seem to get overrun overwhelmed a little bit too much. Lagesson, we haven't seen in a while. Um, mm. He was really s- struggling both defensively and moving the puck by the end there. And, you know, I I, I think Lagesson was th- thrown into a tougher spot, though. He's never been really used in the bottom pairing. He's always teamed up with Larson, or generally was. That's your second pairing. Yep. And I'd like to see, actually, just Lagesson in a third pairing, because I think, let's see him, if he can handle that, because it's a very different role. And much easier to to uh, survive in those sheltered minutes. I'd like to see him get that chance. That's that would be my next move if I was the Oilers. I'd like you know put Lagesson back in there. He's he's a bit bigger than uh, than Jones. He's a brings um, different style of play. And let's see how he does now that he's sat for a while and see if he can improve. All right, Bruce, the last, you know, the last holdout for the Oilers, the only other change that they can make other than calling players up is if Dylan Holloway signs, but they, that's kind of sounding like it's iffy. He's got this, he's coming off this broken thumb. They won't know till early May exactly where he's at with that. So that's kind of a long shot at this, at this point to make an impact in the playoffs, but you never know. Yeah, it's hard to see him come, like that broken thumb really put pay to the idea that he was going to come out of college, use the momentum of his good season, sign and pop in the lineup and, and see how he does. And now by the time he's ready, there's going to be a, a, a vanishing few number of games left. And the Oilers have to make a decision on whether they want to burn a year off his entry-level contract, because that's how it works with these uh, uh, college guys, that once they're 19 years old, it's different if he signed when he was 18, but of course he was a late birthday, so and uh, there was no way to sign him until he was, you know, at the end of his college season. And so he still has the option of going back to Wisconsin next year, and the Oilers may have to use that that burnt year as a sweetener, say sign now and we'll get you, you know, your next contract will come that one year earlier. And you sometimes see that with uh, uh, with youngsters coming out of uh, out of college, but. Uh, I'm not sure that a, a 19-year-old kid in his draft plus one year, uh, I mean, Alexis Lafreniere is not ripping it up in New York now, is he? And he was the first overall draft pick. So, I mean, there's obviously lots of nice arrows with Dylan Holloway, and I'd, I, I don't suppose he'd hurt the team, but I don't know that he'd give him a huge boost either. I mean, he's going to be a heck of a player in two, three, four years, but uh, this year... I wouldn't count on a lot. That is a very sober and realistic take to have, Bruce. Um, my only thought about them is they don't necessarily need a lot. Like, they're not asking him to skate down the ice and score a goal. They're asking him to skate down the ice and hit somebody. And in a defined role, well, I agree with your assessment, but in a in a defined role, he might be able to have some success, where if all he, all he has to do is forecheck and backcheck, essentially, that's really what they're looking for him. Now that's simplifying the game too much because obviously you have to take and make a pass all the time in the NHL. And that's where it's going to take him some time probably to get up to speed. But uh, anyway, there's a, I I still have the, I I guess, you know, I always, I'm always thinking back to the great Oilers teams. And then, you know, I think back to that 1990s line of Graves, Murphy and uh, Jelena, but even those players were all had AHL, considerable AHL pro hockey experience. By the time they, they came together on that line, I believe they'd all played a full season or, or more. Yeah, well, more. was the youngest and he'd been drafted in 1988, seven overall in 1988. There you he go. was traded as part of the Gretzky sale. He came to Edmonton. And so he was, he was the youngest guy and he was 20. Yeah. I believe in 1990. And, uh, Murphy was, uh, you know, the other guys were like 22 right in there. So, they, I mean, they were kids. They called them the kid line. which, uh, But they, you know, they, they did have AHL, uh, some NHL, certainly pro experience. 
they weren't none of them were like a raw rookie just turned brought into the NHL that that uh, season yeah. or that spring. Jelena had played 46 NHL games that year and had 17 goals. So he had already shown in the NHL that season that he was he was chomping at the bit to get more playing time and and finally the coach got creative Bruce and he went to plan C or D rather than sticking with just plan A and B and uh, he put that kid line together and it made all the difference. This is what I hope for with the orders. I really do believe if you get the right chemistry on lines, if Tippett can just figure that out, this team has the talent to go far in the playoffs. But he's got to do better uh, as a coach to get that chemistry right on the lines. That's his fundamental job, to get the right players on the ice at the right time. And uh, I still think he did it last year um, uh, a number of times. So I hope he just, I hope and expect he's going to do it this year. Yeah, well, the uh, the key on that kid line uh, to me was Adam Graves and the surprising decision to move him from the wing into the center of the ice and make him the center on the line with Jelena and Murphy. Like, to me, at the start, they were three wingers. What are they doing together on a line? But Graves' ability to make that transition at that time, and he later did play a lot of wing in his career, but he was able to play center on that line. This is the... The, of the three, he's the guy that's maybe the most comparable to Dylan Holloway, with uh, you know lots of toughness, Style and physicality, and and versatility, and you know defensive chops. So yeah, if the Oilers get yeah. an Adam Graves out of uh, Dylan Holloway, I think we'll all be happy as Wouldn't long that as, be nice, as long as he stays in Edmonton and doesn't. Remember, Adam Graves went to New York. Uh, where he went on to score 280 goals in his uh, remaining career. And the NHL, as compensation, gave the Oilers Troy Millette, who scored one goal for the Oilers. How is that for equal compensation? 280 to one. Wasn't that brutal? That was just so brutal. Thank you, NHL, again. Another such a kind decision. We love the NHL. (laughs) We, We have fun thoughts about the NHL all the time. All right, Bruce. Here was my there. dream headline from today, David. This is this is uh, this is pipe dream headline. Uh, Calgary Flames trade Derek Ryan to Edmonton Oilers for the same third round draft pick they stole on the Milan Lucic decision. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't happen. Didn't happen. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking. Yeah, thanks for listening everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.